Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So in our last episode, we talked all about the reserve list and basically what its impact might be on casual commander if it were to be removed from the format. So if the reserve list were to be banned, uh, how would that generally affect commander? What reserve list commanders see the most play? Uh, what cards and strategies are going to be most affected? Um, but really, our, our conclusion was kind of that casual commander is relatively pragmatic uh, a lot of people are just going to switch to the next best option when, if they're priced out of the the best reserve list option. But there is one corner of the format where price is no object and next best substitutes won't do. So today we're going to be talking about CEDH and how the removal of the reserve list, the, the hypothetical removal of the reserve list, uh, might affect that corner of the format. And here to talk with us about this topic is today's guest, Addison Sage, loyal patron of the podcast. Thank you, guys. I am honored to be here. Uh, I've been listening to Commander Theory for about three years now, and I actually remember the very first episode, so it's pretty sweet to be yeah. on the show. That's that's right. <laughs> well, we are very happy to have you here. Uh, CEDH is definitely not our wheelhouse. We don't have a, a super strong grasp of that corner of the format, so we're, we're very excited to hear your thoughts on this topic yeah um so i've been playing cedh i would say for almost three years when i got back into magic i got back into commander and cedh kind of at the same time at the time what i thought cedh was was basically just more high-powered casual and as i started playing against better players that's when i got into the the real nitty-gritty of cedh so I'm going to do my best today to offer that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great because I think me and Nick know the 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 highest talking points, the ones that that seep out into the community. But I don't actually have much play experience, so this is uh, exactly the perspective we need. Great. So kick us off. Tell me about what you think. How much the reserve list is is utilized in CEDH, and what its loss might mean for the format. Okay. Yeah. So. Can I make a pitch first? Because I know that some people listening might be like, oh, this is CDH, like, click. Oh, um, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I want to convince you not to do that, to give CEDH a try. Yeah, perfect. Um, so one of the things that's actually really cool about CEDH is, at least from every perspective I've seen, you know, of playing in person, we've kind of given up on the concept of purity in the game, um, partially because the cost of playing CEDH is getting kind of out of hand. So mm -hmm. every play group I've ever played with in CEDH does not care about proxies. Mm -hmm. So the whole cost barrier of CEDH is one that's becoming a lot softer, um, almost non-existent in my opinion. Um, like my average CEDH deck costs actually slightly less than my sort of casual EDH decks do, which don't have proxies. Um, so if you're concerned about price, like know that most people really don't care about you using proxies of cards that cost way too much money um, because they also do not have $10,000 to spend on it. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that some people can be turned off when they hear that like Time Twister is legal in the format. So it's, it's great that proxies are so accepted. Absolutely. And just to make that point, I have never seen a real Time Twister played. In three oh. years of playing CEDH, but I've seen lots of them cast. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other selling point I want to make about CEDH is I, I think this is the most appealing thing. Um, there are so many episodes about one of these issues in EDH, and that's power level, right? How do you make sure everybody at the table is like within a point or two of each other of power level? Mm-hmm. And in CEDH, that is not nearly as much of a concern because everybody has the same ethos. Do whatever is the most powerful, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to worry, oh, is that guy running a 7? No, he's running a 10. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> trying to run a 10. So everybody feels like we're all on the same level here and we all have the same goal. So there's not going to be quite as many hurt feelings. Yeah. Um, I think that's really appealing part of CEDH. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Um, I definitely, you know, just from going to the last command fest, the the definition of a seven is so muddy and so murky and yeah. and uh, <laughs> so subjective. But you're right that like everyone knows exactly what a ten is, and there's no. I can see the the appeal of not having to try to match to what your opponent is doing. It's like everyone knows the deal. Yeah. So, you know, all of these crazy metrics we're coming up with to try to define power level, like, well, does your deck contain these staples? Does it win by this turn? Those are all great, I think, for casual to try to solve that problem. But in CEDH, it's like, that's not a problem. (laughs) Yeah. We just play whatever is the fastest, like most heinous thing. And sometimes it is crazy for sure. But I people rarely get as quite as ticked off, I've found. Mm. So... That, that's something that I do know, like my friends who've played CEDH also enjoy is like the, and that's something I kind of like respect that corner of the format for is sometimes you'll look over at like the casual section of a command fest and there'll be some arguments or people will have like, you know, like disgruntled looks on their faces. But then you look over at the CEDH tables and everyone's just like smiling and laughing. Yeah. And yeah. Having a good time. You know, they may be dying on the inside as they suffer through turn number 13 with a winter orb on the board. Yeah. <laughs> but they knew to expect it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's coming. So should we should we get into talking about the reserve list then? Yes. I'm please done go with right my ahead. Pitch. I'm done with my pitch. So <laughs> Uh, the reserve list has a weird spot um, in my heart. Like on one hand, you have a ton of powerful cards that in all honesty, casual commander is better off seeing less often, right? And mm-hmm. You guys talked about that in the last episode, right? Like is casual commander worse off for uh, seeing less time twisters? Mm-hmm. Um, no, not really. However, there's lots of like fun cards that are part of the restricted list too that I would be sad to see go. And you guys did touch on that, right? Like Feldegriff, that makes yeah. the format better. Like Martin yeah. Stronghold makes the format better. Tithe is like one of few efficient white pieces of card advantage or yeah. semi-ramp, <laughs> right? So let's, you know, I, I don't want to put a stigma on the restricted list other than the fact that it's cost prohibitive. I think there's tons of awesome cards on the restricted list. Mm. Oh um, yeah, definitely a lot of like my pet cards are on that list, like Krovican Horror, uh, Corpse Dance. There, there is a oh, lot yeah. of cool stuff there that would make the format a, a little poorer for for not having. But just sort of like looking at how it's it's shaken out in casual, um, a lot of people have have left the reserve list behind. But l- but let's talk about the reserve list in CEDH. Yeah, so um, in CEDH, I'd say there's about 60 cards out of the massive one, 571 cards, is it, on the restricted mm-hmm. list? About 60 of those see play in CEDH. And of those 60, about 20, I would say, are staples of the format. 
And the other 40 are probably like powerful, but situational things like city of solitude, um, dream halls. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you can just jam them into any deck. Now that makes it sound like, you know, the restricted list actually doesn't impact CEDH that much, right? Like, okay, 20 staples are gone. I think we can survive, but actually, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's exactly right. So <laughs> I guess what I kind of want to do here is, is just talk about specific cards that I think would impact the format in CEDH the most if they were gone. Mm -hmm. And of course, I kind of just want to restate that I think this impacts CEDH more, not just because these cards are played more in the format, but because of that stigma of proxies is kind of removed, that people do use these cards a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot, regardless of their price. So the first thing I guess I want to talk about is fast mana. It's like the boogeyman, I think, of CEDH. <laughs> it's what people picture, right? They're like, okay, I mean, I want to build a CEDH deck. I already have 12 cards in my deck because I have to auto-include the fast mana. Yeah. And by that, I mean things like Grim Monolith, Mox Diamond, Metalworker, City of Traders, uh, etc. So... What would banning these things do? That's the first hypothetical, right? Yeah. I actually don't think it would hurt the format that much because what's not on the restricted list is actually quite a bit of the essential fast mana too. Things like Soul Ring, Mana Vault, Mana Crypt, Ancient Tomb. Those are all not on restricted list. So mm -hmm. there's still tons of fast mana available without a restricted list ban. And in a lot of ways, I actually think banning the fast mana would actually cancel itself out. So some people would think it would slow down the format. I don't think that's actually entirely true. Um, part of the reason that stacks are so prevalent in CDH is to suppress all of the super fast combos that are enabled <laughs> by fast mana. Mm -hmm. Right? So like, for example, you, how often do you see Null Rod used in, you know, sort of casual or mid-level uh, EDH? I know, like almost never, unless they're doing something really heinous. Yeah, almost never. Yeah, yeah. almost never. Um, but in CEDH, Null Rod is to the point where it's pretty much main deck for a lot of decks, um, unless yeah. your strategy also heavily relies on artifacts. But fast man is so ubiquitous in CEDH that Null Rod is is main deck tech. So the reason it is is to stop that from happening. If you take out half of the fast mana rocks from the format people start to question if main deck Null Rod is still a good idea. Uh, for those of you not fully aware of what Null Rod's annoying effect is, <laughs> uh, it, it's a two-mana artifact that just shuts down the activated abilities of artifacts. You don't see it a heck of a lot outside of CEDH because it's so targeted, um, but Null Rod is very, very annoying for a lot of players, but it's also helpful because it slows down the, the format and it stops CEDH from being a turn three win every single game. Mm -hmm. But like I was saying, if you take out half of the strong mana rocks from the format, does anyone want to main deck Null Rod anymore? Mm -hmm. So basically, I think this kind of cancels itself out. I think you're still going to see stacks, right? This doesn't mean the end of stacks. You're still going to see stuff that's like uh, less targeted at an artifact, things like Static Orb, Tangle Wire, Winter Orb. Mm -hmm. but uh, those shut down mana dorks. Um, but things that shut down mana rocks, I think would be less popular. So getting rid of mana rocks, like um, Grim Monolith, Max, Mox Diamond, Metalworker, I don't think it's actually going to slow down the format. I think the format would be okay without them. 
Anyway, so the weird thing though about the mana rocks is every deck runs them, so it would be like every deck gets nerfed exactly the same. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it's almost like there's no impact since everybody got nerfed. Well, I'm curious, like for decks running green that have access to all those very cheap mana dorks, do you think it sort of like throws off the balance of the format a little bit? Because like, you know, green has more of these options of cheap mana dorks to bring in to to replace the the reserveless mana rocks that it loses. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Um, mana dorks are prevalent enough in CEDH that I, I think that would be a, a small benefit. You're like I said, you're still going to see things like Static Orb and Tangle Wire give mana dorks a lot of headaches. Mm-hmm. Um, theirs are still going to see a lot of play. But you're right. Like, for example, all these mana rocks make things like Boros combo not a ridiculous idea, right? Like, w- what is the new guy that came out in Call Time? The dwarf, it's Call. Call is the guy. Yeah. And oh, yeah, you guys yeah. rightly identified that as an easy combo piece. Mm-hmm. And you 100% nailed it. That card actually has seen some play in CEDH. Without colorless mana rocks, though, I'm not sure if Boros can keep up with colors that have access to green. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of my intuition. And this is, I think CEDH is an example that I might be correct, where like, if we were to ban Soul Ring and Mana Vault and Mana Crypt and Basalt Model, and like all these old cards, there just would be some colors that the, the rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. Well, it's also yeah. like the sinking tide sinks all boats. It would just become very apparent that these <laughs> colors are like lacking, right? Like mm-hmm. like Boros, like Mono White, uh, even Mono Red to like some extent are like struggling on the mana front, not as much as they used to, but definitely more than the other colors. And I think if you got rid of the fast mana, that ripple effect would, like you said, become more apparent right like the fast man is like a band-aid for boros you know (laughs) absolutely and anybody even in casual edh that's made a mono white deck or a a boros deck Mm -hmm. you know they know that pain of like hey how come uh, a quarter of my deck is artifacts this isn't even an artifact deck (laughs) i know yes oh god right Yeah. yeah it's it's to the point where um you know my my mono white jeru deck has an accidental artifact synergy thing going on. So I actually put um, Ancient Ruin in the deck just because there's just so many artifacts. It's like, this is accidentally good. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, should we talk about the next card? Yeah. Yeah, okay. let's keep moving. Uh, so the next card I identified on the restricted list that would be potentially game-changing if it was banned is Gilded Drake. What makes Gilded Drake a backbreaker and not just like, oh, this card steals a creature, right? Lots of cards do that. Uh, Gilded Drake has so much going for it. Um, For one, (laughs) the obvious is that it costs two mana. And in a format where mana's uh, at a premium because you want to keep mana up for interaction, that's a huge difference. So the other reason that Gilded Drake is so advantageous to other methods of stealing creatures is that it itself is a creature. So that means it's so much easier to recur, to bounce back to hand, um, to tutor up, right? Even in CEDH, people still want to find creatures as part of combo pieces. So if you need a Gilded Drake, there's so many tools to go find it. Whereas how many cards will go find you your control magic? Yeah. Um, and or, I think or recur it. Like I remember back in the day, like way back in the day, like 2010 Commander, uh, 
I was running Skull of Orm to try to yeah. <laughs> recur my enchantment. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and you can do it on a Gilded Drake for one mana. Yep. Yeah. It's the going rate, or you know, obviously they're trying to get away from that. But um, the other thing that people tend to forget about Gilded Drake is that it doesn't end its effect when it leaves the battlefield. So they just get the Gilded Drake, and you get their thing. That's the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. So if you bounce it, if you flash it, or have some kind of response to its ETB trigger, I mean, you can so easily abuse Gilded Drake. Yeah, there's just no replacement for it. There's just nothing. And to boot, one of these kind of hidden impacts that you would see in CEDH is that a lot of the combos in the format actually use some of the same creatures. So, for example, I've seen a Gilded Drake steal a Viscera Seer as the missing sack outlet for an infinite combo. Wow. <laughs> so it's like you're stealing someone else's combo piece to enable yours. Oh man, it's it's surprising that they wouldn't just like sack the seer in response. That that's funny. That kind of came back to bite him. I think that's yeah, I think that skipped their mind, but um I've definitely seen that kind of thing happen before. Or somebody steals uh, you know, a sack creature to start their combo or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, it's just wild stuff. There's no replacement for Gilded Drake. There's trust me, folks. There's a reason this card's expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, they. I don't even know how they can get around it because I don't think they're going to ever reprint something similar to it. You know, kind of like Wheel of Misfortune, where it's like just close enough to get the job done. Like we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, I would say the closest is probably is it Vandelian Clique. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, the one that steals a creature when it ETBs. Oh, uh, Sower of Temptation. Sower of Temptation, that's it. Or as my friends like to say, Sour of Temptation. <laughs> um, yeah, and even that card is, it's not even close to Gilded Drake, and it's as close as we're probably ever going to get. So, yeah. yeah, Gilded Drake, if it's gone, a huge impact changer for the format. We could talk about the next card? Yeah, go for yeah. it. All right. So the next card I identified as a, as a possible issue would be Lion's Eye Diamond or LED. Mm -hmm. um it's an old card so if you don't know what it does it costs zero you sacrifice it and discard your hand as a cost to activate its ability and that ability gives you three mana of any one color so led or lion's eye diamond is more than just under costed ramp right it's part of countless popular combos in the format Mm -hmm. and what makes led even more unique is that it's part of lots of combos and it costs zero that means it's actually very, very easy to tutor up. Um, things like Tolarian Academy, which is just a land, so you're talking super low opportunity cost, can tutor Lion's Eye Diamond. Is Trinket Mage played in a CEDH? Trinket Mage is played in CEDH. Okay, yes. all right. Maybe not ubiquitous, but it's definitely, definitely used. It's also an artifact, which is, I think, the easiest after creatures in terms of card types that you can recur mm-hmm. so artifacts that cost zero it's, it's so easy to get it back that i mean lion's eye diamond combos with so many different cards mm-hmm. um there's just no valid replacement for it without substantially more setup and is the combo that this is typically played with is that like oriok salvagers or is there some other line um, there's lots of lines. There's stuff with Goblin Welder. There's stuff with uh, Underworld Breach, uh, which coincidentally are both red cards. Mm-hmm. And that's what's kind of interesting about an LED ban is that it would disproportionately hurt a color that doesn't need to get hurt anymore, which is red. 
Mm-hmm. Red's just getting back on its feet, right? People are feeling good about red. Uh, an LED ban would actually make red a worse color in CEDH for sure. Red, they've just built more and more and more into the whole, like, this color gets its advantage by messing with artifacts, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's great design space for red, especially in more competitive lines of play. Lion's Eye Diamonds, though, I think people get annoyed with it because like the writing on the Lion's Eye Diamond is, it would make you think it does a certain thing, but the kind of archaic rules of magic are, are what make it abusable. The fact that you discarding your hand is the cost that you pay is what enables all the combos. And some people get annoyed with that because it takes five minutes of rules explanation to explain why Lion's Eye Diamond works in these combos. Yeah. And, so. and and also like if you own like a Mirage Lion's Eye Diamond or um that's what you're using to proxy or like that image is what you're you're proxying, uh that's also gonna mislead people because like like on the Mirage printing it says play this ability as a mana source, but that actually does like the actual rules text is activate only as an instant, which I feel like it could lead to people who aren't familiar with these lines or aren't really used to running the card, like trying to put a spell on the stack and activate the lion's lion's eye diamonds. Like, no, 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 that's not how it works. (laughs) It's a real rules headache. And so I think in that little space, banning lion's eye diamond would be healthy for people's mental sanity. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it would hurt red and that's, that's sad. Yeah. Um, Next card we can talk about is... Gaia's Cradle. Oh, man. The classic. <sighs> One of the most expensive cards on the restricted list that's not from Alpha, Beta, Unlimited. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaia's Cradle is great in every single format, and it's a power <laughs> magnet, man. This thing is so nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a misconception about Gaia's Cradle is like, well, it can't be as good in CEDH because people don't run as many creatures, and that would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um CEDH runs lots of creatures. They're just not creatures that are usually there to end the game. So like lots of um hate bears, lots of mana dorks, lots of stacks pieces, combo pieces just so happen to be creatures and that's all guy's cradle cares about, right? Is it a creature? Not is it a big creature? Yeah. Uh um, guy's cradle definitely like stands out to me. You you end up with a lot of copies of it in your deck. It's not just like I have a one in ninety nine chance to draw Gaia's Cradle. There's actually like a lot of ways to find it that that seem to be playable. You know, at the most competitive levels of the format. And so, sorry, I'll let you talk about that a little bit more. No, you're absolutely right. It's fairly easy to tutor within the color green, right? You've got cards like Crop Rotation and Scape Shift, you know, that are small and efficient enough to use in CEDH. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting other ones, uh, like Weathered Wayfarers. So cards that are in Gaia's Cradle's orbit see more play just because of how good Gaia's Cradle is. <laughs> um, things that hate on it, too, see play in CEDH just to get rid of it. Things mm-hmm. like um, Ghost Quarter and all of its counterparts like Wasteland. Mm-hmm. I would say see play just to get rid of Gaia's Cradle. Um, there mm-hmm. are definitely other problematic non-basics in the format, but nothing quite gives somebody a massive boost like this card does banning this card what it would do i think it would make hate bear strategies worse 
Ironically, it's used also in CEDH because the use of board wipes is a lot lower in the format, mm-hmm. which could be something we see shift as people begin to actually use more utility creatures. You're just not going to see board wipes as much. And so your Gaia's Cradle is almost always going to be producing at least two or three mana because, I don't know, you're just not going to see a Wrath very much in CEDH. People are more concerned about artifacts and they're more concerned about the stack than they are creatures. Mm-hmm. As far as a replacement for Cradle... There's, there's not one. <laughs> there just isn't one. Um, you know, there's definitely clumsier versions of it. Like, uh, gosh, what is that card called? Uh, From... Growing Rights of Itlamok. Is that Growing what Rights of Itlamok? Yeah, it's just too clumsy mm-hmm. for CEDH. I, it could see play maybe, but the requirement of having four creatures is just, you know, somebody could so easily swords one of your creatures, and you're not making meeting the requirement anymore. Just yeah. to keep you under four deliberately the whole time, and it was, it's just going to frustrate you. It's um, also just like so much harder to search out, like all those those things we mentioned, the crop rotation, the weathered wayfarer. You can't get a growing rights of Itlamok the way you could get a guy's cradle. You, yeah, you sure can't. So, uh, hate bear strategies and decks with mana dorks are going to take a huge blow if cradle is gone. Bye bye cradle. Let's talk about <laughs> the next one, I guess. Sure. Yeah, the next one I'm actually excited to talk about because this is a card that like doesn't really see any play due to like the unspoken contract of casual EDH. <laughs> yes, yes, because this card is just cruel. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about Nether Void. Um, it's an enchantment that costs three and a black. Whenever a player plays a spell, it's countered unless they pay three generic mana. It's very mean. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just like... The when I first started playing, I would see this in like the bulk rares, and be like, "Oh God! Like, why would I want to play?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> like, just I was just little like eleven year old Zach, like looking at the the cheap rares, like, what? like who would do? This? Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's an awful card to have to play against. Even in CEDH, people groan when they see this card come down yeah. because mm-hmm. the only way to to efficiently get rid of it is to counter it when it's on the stack. Because if it resolves, yeah. even removal that tries to get rid of it is going to cost three more. Yeah. And in CEDH, when your mana is so valuable, you know, yeah, you can disenchant the Nether Void, but then you'll you'll have paid five mana for a disenchant with the fear that somebody could cast a combo that could end the game. Yeah. Um, so Nether Void is the I don't want to say the nastiest piece of stacks in the entire format. But it's definitely top three. No single card does as much hating as Nether Void does. Uh, <laughs> it stops storm decks, just period. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which there's plenty of in the format. If you combine it with other stacks pieces, I mean, it's it grinds the game to an absolute just standstill. And the point of that would be the person who plays the Nether Void would presumably have enough of a board presence to literally just like kill somebody with mana dorks over a turn over so many turns where nobody can do anything. Mm. Um, it's a brutal piece of stacks, and there's obviously there's nothing like it in black. It's not really in flavor for black, right? Because it's, yeah. Yeah. it's basically mana leaking everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're not going to make anything like this ever again. So if they got rid of Nether Void, boy, would it uh, have, have a big impact, I think. In, like I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but people don't have qualms about proxying Nether Void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that over one thousand dollar price tag for it is not a big hurdle. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
I gotta say one thing that really bugs me about Nether Void is just like the world type, or is it? I guess it might be a super type. Um, it's it's the kind of thing that is like so annoying to keep track of because there is like a non-zero chance it might come up. Um, I've definitely like seen board states with two world enchantments on them, and just nobody caught it because like why would that? rule ever matter <laughs> right yeah it's such an archaic card type um yeah i didn't even mention it when i was explaining what the card did because that's how you just kind of obscure yeah yeah um so that that could be relevant uh, especially in a format where um oh gosh what is that card concordant crossroads is played fairly often. oh yeah too. i was gonna say so, that too yeah have you ever uh seen people running hall of gemstone as like sort of a way to screw mana on other people's turns as like a city of solitude variant absolutely yeah okay all right yeah there you go there's another world enchantment then yeah yeah and see i didn't even remember that that's a world enchantment (laughs) people tend to honestly just ignore that um but some rules stickler aka somebody who cares about how to actually play the game properly (laughs) uh, is going to point that out so is it relevant actually it very well could be it could be relevant that it's a world enchantment I don't think anybody's sad to see another void disappear, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we talk about the next pair? Yes. Yeah. Go right ahead. All right. So similar cards in the format exist for these pair for this pair, but they're not even close to as good. I'm talking about Time Twister and Wheel of Fortune. They do very similar things. Time Twister costs two and a blue. Each player shuffles his or her hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven. That's it. <laughs> Wheel of Fortune costs two and a red. Each player discards their hand and draws seven. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, both of these draw you a ton of cards for very, very little mana. Um, the best replacement for these cards in CEDH is each other, right? So if you don't have Time <laughs> Twister, you should just use Wheel of Fortune and vice oh. versa. Mm-hmm. In a world where both are banned, oof. Uh, look at the vast difference in power between Reforge the Soul and Wheel of Fortune to see just how important having two extra mana is. Mm-hmm. Um, Wheel of Fortune gives you that two extra mana after drawing seven to do cool things with, right? So after you draw seven, you're going to want to cast some of those cards. That two mana is such a massive difference after, after you know refilling your hand. It's not like comparing other things where like, oh, this is the same effect, but it costs two. That's fine. It's not like that. All, all, um, all differences are not made equally there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this would be a huge blow for red. A huge blow for red. Um, it's their most efficient card draw by miles. It's not even close. Yeah, like the, the closest analog is like Wheel of Misfortune, but I've said on the podcast before, like, uh, the fact that you can opt out of it is really uh, takes away a lot of the card's disruptive power. Like, like I've definitely played games where I just paid uh, zero life so that I could keep my like powerful six cards instead of trading them in for a random seven. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's something people miss about Wheel of Misfortune. And even Wheel of Fortune 2 is sometimes players don't want to discard their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> they don't care if they're drawing seven, right? They had a handful of gas and they didn't want to let it go. Wheel of Misfortune is seeing quite a bit of play in CEDH, but it ain't Wheel of Fortune, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think once again, 
red is not a color that we want to hurt more, right? It yeah. just <laughs> it just recuperated from a long stretch of being not good, and it's mm-hmm. finally in a good place. So I would hate to see Wheel of Fortune get banned. But Time Twister is a little different, I think. Blue yeah. has some better parallels to it, and blue doesn't have nearly as much trouble drawing cards, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think blue could really be fine without Time Twister. It's like taking that away from blue is like taking away a gun from someone who already has like a collection of 20 others. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. oh no, my favorite. Well, I have these other ones. It's fine. Yeah, we've banned like this very specific assault rifle type. You'll have yeah. to go with the the 20 best alternatives. Right. Yeah, and there's plenty <laughs> of them for blue. Again, we're kind of hurting a color that shouldn't be hurt and then a color that isn't really hurt at all because it's already good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of colors that are already good. Yeah, go for we'll it. Talk about this pair. Mm-hmm. Okay, so these are. This is actually a pair of cards you're probably almost never going to see unless you play CEDH. And the cards I'm talking about are Transmute Artifact and Power Artifact. Oh yeah, classic. You know <laughs> yeah, you know as soon as you hear the word artifact in the card name, it's going to do something unfair. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, what Transmute Artifact is, since you're probably rarely going to see it. It's like Tinker, except instead of you just getting an artifact out of your deck and putting it into play, you have to pay the difference in mana cost. So, for example, if you play Transmute Artifact on an artifact that costs three mana, you're going to have to, if you want a five cost artifact, you have to pay the difference uh, with generic mana. So it would cost you two extra. Uh, yeah. I mean, does that pretty much sum it up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. I think it's like um, Transmute Artifact is like the more broken reshape, basically. It's also crazy that Transmute Artifact, like the sacrifice, isn't an additional cost. So if it gets countered, you're not like two for one immediately. Absolutely. Um, so that's yes. another sweet benefit to the card. Definitely a, a really strong tutor. And that's pretty relevant in CEDH where the likelihood of getting something countered is pretty high. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely relevant. The other is Power Artifact. It's much more simple. It's a two blue aura enchantment. You put it on an artifact. That artifact's activated abilities cost two generic mana less to activate. It can't reduce the activation cost to less than one mana. Now, honestly, like that's a pretty reasonable card by itself. But then Wizards printed all kinds of things that if you put Power Artifact on them, create an infinite combo by itself. Yeah, it's um, so it's so weird to me that like Power Artifact is the only uh, card like this because there is a lot of utility in like fair magic. Like, you know, oh, it might be kind of cool to like I reduce the activation cost on this like Soul Foundry or on my equipment, or, like reduce my equipped cost or something. Right. So it's it's strange that it that this card ended up on the reserve list and we never seen anything like it really. It yeah. is kind of odd because there's so many parallels to reducing creature activations or land activate other other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is such an innocent card, honestly. Like it, it could do so many cool fun things, but instead it makes Isochron infinite combos and it makes Basalt Monolith infinite combos. <laughs> what it does. There's no parallel to it, like you just said, Nick. I don't think I can name any cards that reduce the activated abilities of artifacts. Yeah. No, it's something they've clearly been dodging doing again. Yeah. Strange. I think like after training grounds, which also just, it should, that should be 
It should not just be blue and it should be in more places like the color with the least creatures gets training grounds. I know (laughs) it's like, uh, so yeah, they're just like really hesitant. Like even look at Zerta, like doesn't reduce it below one. They're like just really afraid of like this ability. So yeah, I, I wish they would do more with it. I think Zerta was fair. Zerta is a cool card and I wish that it would get a little more love yeah. in this, this zone, you know? Mm-hmm. Zerta has seen some play in CEDH too, which just goes to show you how powerful this effect is. Yeah. Um, that it, kind of a silly card like Zerta would still still be good enough just because of how many artifacts are run in the format. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as transmute artifacts, I would argue that it's like a 10 or 20% worse version of Tinker. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And Tinker's banned <laughs> in basically every <laughs> format ever. Yeah. Uh, and deservedly so. I don't know what they were thinking when they made Tinker. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of the cards that's just unfathomable to me that it was ever made. Yeah. Um, that kind of speaks for itself. A 10% worse version of Tinker is still like a 200% better version of Reshape. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's very, very strong. And artifact combo decks take a huge hit if both of these are gone. And um, there's lots and lots of those in the format. Um, oh, yeah. I don't what, need to start naming them or anything. Yeah. What are some of the most common targets for a transmute artifact? Because, like, you know, back in the day, like back in the day, um, people would, you know, when people talked about like, oh, Tinker has to stay banned because what if you could get a Blight Steel? But you know, I feel like a Blight Steel wouldn't really matter as much in in cedh so like what are people finding off of their transmute artifacts um yeah the the having to pay the difference in cost definitely also stops you from wanting to get something like a blight steel but yeah. you're gonna see it grab isochron scepter i'd say 70 percent of the time mm-hmm. um because it's very lean combo piece and you end up paying maybe one extra mana 90 percent of the time so it ends up being a tinker in that case Mm-hmm. Pay three mana, go get your game-winning combo. Other things it can grab, I see it grab stacks pieces a lot, in particular targeted stacks pieces that will definitively shut down your opponent's deck. So if your opponent's running, you know, uh, creatures, uh, hate bears, or mana dorks, you go grab a cursed totem, and they can't use them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's just way too it's way too good, even being a nerfed version of Tinker. Like I said, it's still that good. <laughs> Should we talk about the next card? Yeah, go for it. Yogmoth's Will. Oh boy. <laughs> I I personally love this card, even though yeah. I've never owned a real copy of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just the art, Ron Spencer. I mean, gosh, it's just it's so good. It's so great in every <laughs> single way. Yeah. Uh, it's for sure super broken though. Mm-hmm. So what kind of decks would suffer from banning Yogmoth's Will? Basically any deck with black in it. <laughs> Um, is Yagmas will that ubiquitous? Despite the price, it is. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you need to have a Kess consultation deck to run Yagmas will officially? Nope. <laughs> yeah. You just need to have a deck that might put things in the graveyard at any point. Yeah. Which is pretty much any of them. When it resolves, typically something very stupid is going to happen. Someone's going to cast a combo out of their graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if that's not the case, the basement on Yogmoth's Will is card advantage or some kind of off-the-wall mana boosting from like sacking permanence, for example, like the previously mentioned Lion's Eye Diamond. Does it matter if you've discarded your hand if you play a Yogmoth's Will? 
Probably not. not. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like, uh, you know, Yogmoth's will in commander, um, or rather like in CEDH, it seems like you get even more value than you could in commander because the, the average CMC is so low. Like if you cast Yogmoth's will and still have four or five mana remaining, that could be like, uh, you know, three, four cards that you're casting after that. Yeah. Absolutely, and that's a pretty common occurrence. People will just play Yogswill even if they're not going to combo off. They'll they'll play it just to refill their hands off of cheap card draw. They'll they'll cast it to get mana dorks back on the field. It's just way too good for three mana, which is why you've we haven't seen anything like this. Could I be wrong about that? Could you guys name some? There's the no. uh, disciple of Yogmoth or or whatever. Oh, yeah, Magus, the, yeah, Magus, Magus of, the of the Will. Yeah, yeah. I, I run Close. that but it's like not anywhere near <laughs> it's good closest things is, is like a past in flames yeah uh, yeah yeah so that goes to show you just how absurdly undercosted yagmas will is the fact that they're now estimating that actually to do this effect you should probably spend more like eight mana <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so it's insane Nothing yeah. comes close to achieving this effect in, in EDH of any variety. But this card has no scruples in EDH where the cost doesn't matter and it's played in every deck with black in it. Yeah, the, the, the only thing... Okay, sorry. There's one other thing I can think of that's similar and, of course, it also has made a splash in CDH, and that's Underworld Breach. Yes, yeah. and, and Underworld Breach is very, very strong. I'm, <laughs> it's one of those cards, again, I was surprised like, when they printed it. I'm like, really? Did yeah. you play test this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's super strong and still not even half as good as Yogmas will. Mm -hmm. So um, that just goes to show you. I'm, I'm a little surprised that this card is honestly still legal because it just seems so dramatically undercosted. It itself is never going to be a combo, right? But mm -hmm. it makes so many things possible for way, way less than it should cost. Mm -hmm. uh, should we talk about the next card? Yeah, go for it. Survival of the fittest. Uh, this is a one generic and a green enchantment. You pay a green and discard a creature card. Then you get to search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle. So for a green mana, it is a repeatable creature tutor. Creature-based combo decks obviously suffer the most if this gets banned. <laughs> yeah. That's that's pretty obvious. Um, what's debatable, though, is if there's already enough tutors in green can we get over it? Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like, well, what's the closest, you know, repeatable tutor? It, it's like Fauna Shaman is the one that comes to mind. And that just seems like it. it's nowhere near to filling the void if, if Survival of the Fittest were to leave the format. It's not as close to as good as Survival of the Fittest because not only is it a creature, you got to wait a turn. It can only be used once a turn. Um. It's Fauna Shaman still sees some play in CEDH because it's still pretty good, but mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to make a controversial statement here, and I think that Survival of the Fittest actually could easily be replaced by tutors because typically you only are going to tutor up a couple of creatures to finish your combo anyway. Mm -hmm. So you don't need something that's going to be able to tutor you know, four or five times through the course of a game. You just need something that... If you look at the same cost, right? It costs two to cast this, and then it costs a green to activate. Is there something we could find that could tutor for creatures for a comparable overall mana cost? 
And yeah, there is. There's still worldly tutor. There's still green sun zenith. No finale of devastation. Finale of devastation, exactly. Probably some other ones I'm forgetting. All of the ones that put things directly into play, like uh, Eldritch Evolution. As far as the tutoring side of Survival of the Fittest, yeah, nothing's as good as it. But things are close, close enough that they could fulfill the tutoring side of wanting to go find your combo piece. What are what are some of the most common two creature combos like like what is survival of the fittest like really enable you to get both halves of easily a lot of them are ones that you see in uh regular edh actually fairly often to be honest mm-hmm. um so you know you're gonna see your uh kiki jiki plus whatever yeah <laughs> kiki jiki plus anything um you're going to see things like lots of combos using Safi Eric's daughter okay, um, yeah. with things like Karmic Guide, Renegade Rallier, Cephalid Illusionist and Nomad's Encore, Protean Hulk, right? It can go get you a Protean Hulk, which if you can get it into play, which there's lots of ways to get it into your hand from into play, it can grab you, you know, the Splinter Twin Kiki Jiki stuff, Blood Artist, which is the heart of so many different combos. Yeah, is that, I don't know, is that, <laughs> that enough of them? Or... Yeah, I know, that's good. Yeah, I just, I was just curious. Um, and because I'm wondering, like, uh, would something like a, like a Imperial Recruiter or Recruiter of the Guard be able to, like, serve the same purpose for, like, the Kiki Jiki combos where you can, like, you know, Imperial Recruiter, go get your Kiki-Jiki, like copy your Recruiter and get the other half of the combo? Um, or is that just like way too much mana to to ever really make work? You know, if you're going to win the game, three mana is really not too much. And a lot of those combo pieces do come from creatures that have low converted mana costs, low power, low toughness, whatever. Um, so yeah, like I said, I actually do kind of think the tutoring side of survival of the fittest could be replaced, Hmm. um, in green and outside of green, there's, there's definitely some replacements for it. What I think is kind of forgotten about survival of the fittest is that it's a super efficient tutor stapled on top of a pitching machine. Mm -hmm. Meaning you can fill up your graveyard at the same time. That's really something I think that is like... The tutor aspect is, I think, the thing that people look at, but the fact that like I can sculpt my graveyard yeah, is so huge. It's so powerful. I mean, how much does Entomb cost? A black mana? This is an Entomb for two green mana, if you want to think of it that way. Yeah. And it's repeatable. Yeah, infinite um, Entombs. Yeah, it's infinite Entombs. Uh, and so actually lots of decks thrive off the fact that it is both in one. And that part of the card is not replaceable in my opinion because you know what are what are the other cards that do something like that fauna shaman i know yeah yeah and it only does it once it only does it once right because it's tapped now i know it's like auric lore mage just like fucking four times uh nerfed (laughs) yeah yeah oh there is auric lore mage now but that's it's too clunky for cedh oh for sure I think um, it's too clunky for casual commander. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It, it definitely makes me think, what if they just stopped being so conservative with that? So I think a lot of, in my opinion, like funner decks in CEDH, like Veralt's, uh, losing this card would be a huge blow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the decks that work out of the graveyard in CEDH are the more fun ones because graveyard interaction is a thing now. Mm-hmm. So it's a way that decks that aren't blue can 
um, interact with the current like combo that's unfurling before you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be sad to see survival of the fittest go if for nothing else than the fact that it's so happy and friendly to graveyards. Yeah. Yeah. Enemies of shuffling though, they would be happy to see survival. <laughs> <laughs> the constant tutoring at your end of turn tutor at your end mm-hmm. of turn tutor. Yeah. It's pretty annoying. That really wraps up all of the cards that like I know would be huge hits to the format, which how many total did we count here? Like one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, a decent amount. Oh, exactly ten. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. perfect. We can put a clickbait title in now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did come up with some sleepers that I think like eh, they might impact the format if they're gone. I don't. I'm not going to guarantee it. Like I would the other ones making a big splash, but these are the sleepers I'll, I'll go out on a limb for. Okay, let's hear um, them. Yeah, and again, like anything in magic, this is so playgroup dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that you may be rolling your eyes when i say this you're like yeah no one ever plays that but i've seen it played <laughs> in lots of different play groups and online so this is just my perspective first one is mind over matter i personally love mind over matter i think it's a really fun combo card that's kind of fair because boy is that mana cost thick <laughs> yeah 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 go ahead and read that out to us real quick <laughs> so mind over matter costs two a blue a blue a blue a blue <laughs> it's an enchantment you can choose and discard a card to tap or untap target artifact creature or land that is what it does mm-hmm. um and it has a super cool painting of urza doing urza stuff on it yeah um it's it's a it's an iconic magic card in my opinion mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. now it almost always wins games when it comes down in cedh and i think it probably does the same in casual commander too honestly because no one's using it to untap their uh, their land or elf. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, it can do that though. At which point you're just discarding a card for a green mana, and that's even even its basement is like, geez, that's good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now it has lost popularity in the past few years as like sexier, slimmer models have hit the runway. Mm-hmm. But if you like your mana cost thick and you like blue mana. And you don't mind getting carpal tunnel from tapping and untapping things. <laughs> this is definitely a legitimate part of CEDH. Um, now, there, here's going to be kind of a theme with these few cards I'm going to talk about with on the sleeper list. Being an enchantment is a benefit. Mm-hmm. If your combo piece is an enchantment, enchantment removal is, at least in my three years of experience, one of the least played um, removal pieces in CEDH. People mm-hmm. are definitely more concerned about artifacts the stack creatures and then enchantments after that that's my experience Hmm. so the fact that this is an enchantment helps it out Mm -hmm. and is there a replacement for mind over matter no there's not nothing does what mind over matter does um it does so it does so much it's crazy how many things this does like not only does it generate mana as you mentioned but it's so easy to combo off with this card i don't know like how many like tap draw card effects C play in CEDH, but it's just so easy to to make that happen if if they are present in the format. And this is like the part of the card that makes me just wonder like what the heck they were thinking. Like the fact that you can tap down your opponent's lands and then just like <laughs> pass to like your second main phase is like, okay, now I know you don't have interaction except like maybe force of will and now yeah. I'm gonna do my combo. Like that's just absurd to me yeah mind over matter could not tap anything that part could be left off the card and people would still love it 
Yeah. I know. Um, I think they'd actually like it more because they wouldn't have to worry <laughs> about the whole tapping down thing, kind of suppressing them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I like most about this card, like I said, is it it kind of feels fair in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be real, it's not fair because it's very powerful. But that mana cost is like woof. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a format that's trying to get slimmer and sexier, like every day. Mm-hmm. that is definitely a prohibitive cost and the closest parallel i can think is like in like casual and mid-level edh it's like if somebody resolves an omniscience mm-hmm. you're like oh, oh yeah crap, they're gonna win but at the same time you're like yeah but they hard cast an omniscience <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you kind of got to give it up to them for dropping 10 mana on that thing you know <laughs> and you let it happen like you say eh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good <laughs> yeah, yeah you got so- yourself to blame for that one for sure <laughs> yeah uh the next card i'd go out on a limb for is memory jar mm-hmm. memory jar now lots of things can wheel yes. in cedh and in edh in every other format too they've printed so many wheels good ones lately too like we mentioned wheel of misfortune mm-hmm. but few of them can do what memory jar does one of the things that memory jar does is the players all players draw the cards but then they return them to their hand um at the beginning of the next end step which means they don't really get to do much with those cards. So you use Memory Jar on your turn. You get seven cards in your hand. Everybody else does. But they have to give them back, basically, at the end of your turn. So the big advantage that it has over, has over those other wheels is they don't really get any card advantage from it. Yeah, You get to draw seven, <laughs> and it's your turn. So you're going to get to play all the cool stuff you just drew. But what are they going to get to do? Probably nothing. Probably nothing, barring some like free counter spells that could be drawn up and get under your skin. That could be a little annoying, but Memory Jar almost very rarely ever helps someone other than you, which Wheel of Fortune can accidentally help other people. It can help them draw their combo pieces. It can help them draw out of a a mana screw or something like that, but you're not going to get out of mana screw with a Memory Jar. Yeah, and as you mentioned earlier, this card, it's so easy to, to build around and synergize with compared to like like i mean I, I don't i can't again can't speak too much for cedh but like in casual commander it's not that easy to recur spells but you know there are things like a uh, goblin welder that can get back an artifact without too much trouble so that's a, a great benefit as well yeah absolutely i guess we should maybe say what it does because <laughs> yeah it's a an artifact that costs five generic you tap and sacrifice it each player exiles all cards from his or her hand face down and draws seven at the beginning of the next end step. Each player discards their hand and returns to their hand the cards they exiled this way. So yeah, you're exactly right, Nick. Like This sacrifices itself in a lot of wheels and a lot of like time twister type effects. They exile themselves these days. Uh, this doesn't, so it's just so easy to get it back. And yeah, that actually does happen quite a bit in CEDH, right? You don't find your combo with the seven cards you drew. That's okay. Like You just get the memory jar back and you try again so nothing quite like it and also great art i love the art on this card Hmm. uh the other card that i would say i would go on a limb for is and this is like why i made the disclaimer at the start of this because some people are going to be like oh that card does not really affect me in cedh i'm talking Mm -hmm. about replenish oh interesting Mm -hmm. yeah replenish costs three generic and a white it's a sorcery and it's very simple you return all enchantment cards from your graveyard to play um it's such a super simple effect they have reprinted this kind of effect before 
Mm -hmm. but never again at this mana cost. And when you're doing something as niche as reanimating enchantments, you really want to be as low to the ground as possible because you're kind of already trying to do something sort of strange. Yeah, Um, you're like taking slots that would otherwise be dedicated to just like generally powerful cards and putting enchantments in instead. Yeah. Um, And this card's not a CEDH staple by any stretch. However, why I put it on this list is it enables some off-the-wall, surprisingly threatening strategies. So like fun enchantment combos that utilize CEDH in the graveyard filling tools that become are, are like widely played already. Those decks are kind of on the fringe of things. These like enchantment-based combos, they would be way, way too silly, way too outlandish to work with Replenish. Mm-hmm. And they'd go from being underdogs to like meme level of casual hopeful. <laughs> What are some of the enchantment-based combos you're you're thinking of that are enabled by Replenish? Uh, so there's a lot of the ones that are probably familiar to people. So there's things like so all of the like animate dead combos. Oh sure, mm-hmm. you know that would target a creature. Is there like an opalescence <laughs> combo in CDH? Like, not that I'm aware of. I've never okay. seen it. No, I, but then I trust you. <laughs> yeah. So, like, all of the stuff with like the reanimation enchantments plus like Leonine Relic Order or any other card that has a similar effect of Leonine Relic Order, right? That like would it exile an enchantment when it enters. You can get back Necropotence. Necropotence? <laughs> Gosh, what else? I mean, maybe that's the big one. You can get back your food chain. And like I like I said, is there easier ways to like tutor out an enchantment and get it into play? There is, but putting things in the graveyard is so easy these days that the ability to just reanimate all of your combo pieces at once is such a, a headache for every color except blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of combos with Alluren, which actually I'm about to get into here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like I said, though, Replenish is not by any means a CEDH staple, but I think the format would be worse off without replenish um enabling all these kind of silly enchantment combo decks nice so the next card and i guess the last one on my sleeper list here is alluren so like most of the cards on the sleeper list alluren is not part of like an s tier deck list that's running right now Mm -hmm. right so some people kind of rolling their eyes right now that are like cedh masters (laughs) i'm not saying alluren is going to change the format if it's banned (laughs) however just like mind over matter and just like i was saying with replenish it being an enchantment is helpful Mm-hmm. there's just not as much enchantment removal running around so you're less likely to lose Aluren to something and also Aluren is so modular with combos like there are so many stupid Aluren combos I mean there's like over a dozen combination of things that you can do with Aluren and random different creatures a quick cursory look on EDH rec will tell you that there are 58 combos involving Aluren, right? Uh, Anytime you say you can play something for free, you're <laughs> right. You're yeah, opening it's, Pandora's box. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the one of the the red the not red flags, but one of the the flags go off where like you're like double, okay, free, okay, reduce, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we exactly. go. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's not in the on the sexier list of CEDH combos right now because it's like well, you gotta you gotta drop down this four cost enchantment. Enchantments are one of the hardest card types to tutor, but you know I want to push back against that because one, I'm super nostalgic about Allure, and it's one of the, my first cards I ever got, mm-hmm. and there's just so many modular combos 
you can mix and match creatures of any color variety. Um, finding the right two or three cards to pair with Aluren is so easy that you, I don't want to say you don't even need tutors, but like just having enough card draw to draw into a random combination is pretty easy. Like if you draw five, there's a decent chance that two things that you drew will combo with Aluren. Um, <laughs> you know, there's Depths of Desire plus Dualcaster Mage. Mm-hmm. There's um, White Mane Lion plus <laughs> way too many things. Anything, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Cavern Harpy and Parastritic Six, Sticks, Tricks. Yep. Cloud of Fairies and Tamir Sabertooth, Aetherflex Reservoir, plus any of these things that I've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shrieking Drake, Dwinin's Elite. It's just way too many things involving Aluren. So yeah, I think the format would be worse off without it. it. It really seems like if you are willing to commit the deck slot to like Aluren and just like any self-bouncing creature, um, then from there, you know, it's it's so easy to assemble like infinite storm count uh you know infinite creatures entering or leaving the battlefield and and that just kind of like synergizes with things that you kind of already wanted to do i don't know does like does beast whisperer or guardian project or like glimpse of nature do any of those see play in cedh a glimpse of nature does yeah Uh, the others are a little too clunky you don't want to like spend the whole turn just to hope for a card draw engine typically okay. but glimpse of nature is is small and sexy enough that it can definitely yeah for sure gotcha okay please don't ban a little run. I like it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i do too i actually really love i used to play with a lot more learning combos when i like didn't mind if i trolled my play group more <laughs> but it's it's an unseen aspect of Aluren is that it's universal right it says all players so players mm-hmm. tend to hate it less because they're like oh i can do this too yeah. yeah that's a neat little surprise <laughs> um so that's the last card i had on my list to specifically talk about should we kind of just like do an overview or yeah yeah give us like a well okay first give us like a, a bird's eye view of how um how you think edh would look in like the post reserve list band metagame uh, and then i got a couple other questions i just want to get your pick your brain on sure so I think more than EDH, um, CDH is very reactive. It's mm-hmm. a tight meta, just like standard is, right? If if you get rid of something, it has huge impacts. People don't just replace it with the next best thing. It could lead to that deck being the you know, 5% worse that it needed to be for a deck to be better than it, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what does the meta of CDH look like if all these cards are banned? Uh, it's pretty unrecognizable, to be honest with you, except for one key exception that I'll talk about in a second. So while one or two of these bannings creates that power vacuum where the next best deck just steps in, banning all of them would mean you'd have to dig really, really deep to find what the next best deck is. Um, A ban on the restricted list would definitely hurt a lot of the more, I guess, unfun decks to play against, right? Like Cough, Nether Void... Mm-hmm. smell you later but surprisingly <laughs> a lot of the more unsung unsung underdogs of the format would also kind of suffer like i like i mentioned there's a lot of restricted list cards that are just fun mm-hmm. yeah they're powerful but fun they're not like in that list of power way too powerful so i think i'd be kind of sad about that and in a way that people tend to not look at the restricted list and i, I think maybe they should think about this Restricted list cards enable less powerful strategies. They kind of give them that shot in the arm that they need. 
So like, for example, Alluren makes um, persistent petitioners actually viable, <laughs> not tier one or even tier two, but it's possible, right? Like you could mm -hmm. actually win with that without cards like that, without cards like memory jar or mind over matter. You can't get away with running an inferior strategy like call artifact combo, like mm -hmm. in Boros, right? Like we kind of talked about already. Yeah. I think that's kind of a bummer for sure. And it's entirely possible that killing the villains of the restricted list, right? Like the, the boogeyman would be gone. I think in its place, some it's possible that even more oppressive, annoying boogeyman might just fill in the gap. So like, for mm -hmm. example, the most recent scandal, it's kind of evolved into a scandal, I guess you might say is the banning of Flash. Banning Flash, I think a lot of people were ready for it, but what they didn't see coming, or maybe maybe some people did, right? They're going to like write in and be like, no, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> banning Flash made consultation in Oracle decks like it, the obvious tier one, like just way, way, way too good uh, in, in comparison to most other decks. And by that, I mean the demonic consultation bosses Oracle type decks or, you know, Lab Man or whatever piece you want to use, the new Jace as well. Mm -hmm. It's the slimmest, easiest, hardest to interact with combo in the format. So is it possible that something like that could happen if we banned the restricted list? Yeah, I would absolutely say so. Because I know it's possible, because the consultation oracle deck lists, none of the pieces are on the restricted list. Mm -hmm. So that deck would certainly become like the unchallenged number one, even more so than it already is. So yeah, I, I don't think that would be great for CEDH to see that deck be so just uncontested. I guess I had a, a question that welled up as we were talking about this. Right now, like when we're looking at data on like EDHREC and stuff like that, it's it's kind of everything, right? It's just whatever anyone put on any website that they scrape from. Uh, do you see often like these data points showing up from these CEDH deck lists on like, say, some partner commander or something like that? Or do you do you see the effects of CEDH on these deck building websites, I guess, uh, as much as... I guess casual play. That's I guess I can think of a better way to say this question, but yeah, no, that that's a good question, and uh, I would probably say no. Okay. Um, EDH rec is definitely not representative of CEDH, even even like a fraction of it. Yeah, <laughs> the only parts of CEDH that you're going to see on sites like EDH rec or I mean, what are other like data conglomerating websites like um, maybe Moxfield, Moxfield gives you yeah. some. Um, Although I, I believe EDH Rec currently uh, scrapes Moxfield. Um. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it's going to scrape all those things. And I, I don't see a heck of a lot of representation. Like if I look at top cards on EDH Rec, there's some overlap, but it's just because those cards are just good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean, is CEDH just a collection of the best cards being played? That's kind of a misconception. It's not. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's some of the best cards being played for sure, but in a very specific way, right? So like, I can think of some examples. Dispel is one of the top 100 cards played in CEDH. Mm -hmm. But Dispel is, if I just like look it up right now, gosh, um, not many decks use Dispel yeah. <laughs> on EDH rec. It's in, well, it's, a, it's a little bit more than I thought. It has 9% representation in decks that could play it. Yeah. Um, in decks that can play it in CEDH, though, I mean, it's it's 
it's much much higher than that yeah. so it's like close to 100 percent almost yeah. probably well if you it's, also if i i would point out like if you look at the dispel page and and go down to the high synergy cards um you know it's abrupt decay veil of summer demonic consultation hole breacher <laughs> like you can tell okay sure it's he's playing a lot of decks but almost these have got to be almost entirely cedh decks right right so if nine percent of decks those are probably all cedh decks yeah that might actually be a pretty good indicator of like what percentage of decks on edh are cedh decks just find the card yeah. that like has no play in in regular commander but is is a staple in cedh yeah um it's not a flawless approach for sure but yeah that that honestly lines up with what i i'd, I'd probably estimate as the representation on edh rec it's pretty low mm-hmm. um it's not non-existent but it's low enough that it, you could just think of it, it it's hard to tell what's the cedh format and what's just an anomaly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like our 10 yeah. percent of people running dispel because it's in their meta there's a lot of annoying instants or because they're cdh decks yeah i would say my experience uh, to answer this question zach my experience is like there are some commanders that are like overwhelmingly cedh and Mm -hmm. like that's where you can actually see the effect of that format but if there's a commander that's like popular in regular commander and cedh it's gonna bury it yeah, exactly. So like some partner combinations I've seen, I think like Rograk Silas is the one that really sticks out to me is like there there's not uh it's not like super compelling for a casual commander, but it sees a lot of CEDH play and so that's why mm-hmm. the page is just like, you know, average CMZ like 2 and and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, uh like I look at this right now with um uh Anyi Falconrath. Mhm. And the highest synergy cards are things that synergize with casting madness cards. Yeah. Um, or, you know, you can pay like one when you discard a card, do this cool thing. That's not, it's not, this is not representing what CEDH version of Anyi does mm-hmm. uh, at all, right? People just use madness cards in CEDH to cycle through their deck. They don't even, they didn't pretty much never cast them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, you make a really good point there, Nick. Thanks. I had one more question for you. And you are someone who like, you know, you play CDH, but you also have, um, you know, a lot of experience with casual commander too. How do you think that casual commander is going to to deal with the reserve list in the long term? Because I, I don't think things are really sustainable how they are with like reserve list prices shooting through the roof and people using them as investments rather than game pieces. So how do you think the casual commander is going to going to handle that? Do you think that they're going to take like more of a CDH stance or, or what do you think is going to happen? That's really tough to say. You want to know what my like anarchy burn it all down <laughs> perspective is? <laughs> yeah, sure. And the restricted list and their end it. Uh, just print these cards again, please. Um, <laughs> mm. That's that's never going to happen, of course. But that's my. Yeah, uh, I would say probably what people are going to do is one of two things. They're either going to be repulsed by the power level that a lot of these cards offer. Mm-hmm. and they're not going to want to use them anyway because of the damage that it could do to, you know, the fun. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point, how many how many restricted list staples does it take before you're officially in CEDH, right? Where's the threshold there? I, I will say that we have one friend in our playgroup who uh, has a deck, I, I don't know if it's still together, but where the goal was to play as many 
reserve list cards as possible. <laughs> and so like, yeah, there was some real powerful stuff in there, but there was also things like Iron Star, which like nobody listening to this podcast knows what it does because it's so <laughs> terrible and so obscure. You know, of course, the reserve list has as many... Oh gosh, what's that terrible card called? Uh, the reserve list has as many Dwarven Ponies and Rock, rock Basilisks as it does good cards. Actually, it probably has more bad cards than good ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I say restricted list, you know, I'm kind of talking about like all you know, the cards people actually play. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But uh, people are going to have two reactions to it. You know, they're they're either going to start proxying and that's what's happening in CEDH because it's just too prohibitive of a format otherwise, and we don't yeah. want it to die. We want people to play it and have fun. Mm-hmm. They're going to start proxying, or they are going to just reject the restricted list entirely, and the stigma of playing powerful cards like that is just going to be too high for anybody to want to do it, right? Like, what's well, I mean, what's the feeling that's stopping anybody listening to this right now from proxying a, a guy's cradle and playing it with your play group yeah good point what, what's that the feeling is that if you did it people would kind of be like really dude like anybody <laughs> could proxy the guy's cradle and, and play it but we've all agreed that's maybe a little too strong well i think it's like it's almost unfair to have that kind of attitude because like you know, if you were playing on Moto, it wouldn't be an issue at all. Like, it's really, yeah. <laughs> there's ways to play Commander in a way that, like, gives, where, that, like, gives Wizards money that isn't going to break the bank. And it's just because if you own a Gaia's Cradle on Moto and you demonstrate that you have, like, contributed to Wizards' coffers in some <laughs> way, <laughs> is, does that then, should we then accept that? Like... Should there be like gradations of how real that guy's cradle is? What if, <laughs> what if this? What if I say this guy's cradle is just like a, a physical representation of the digital guy's cradle that I own? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And hey, I, I'll I'll go back to my selling point on CEDH. This isn't a problem in CEDH because everybody's agreed that this is an arms race, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so no one cares, right? Oh, you proxied that? That's fine. I also proxied extremely powerful cards. Um, and I don't know, are we, we're kind of getting into the, the power struggle issue a little bit, right? As far as like the cost, maybe there's something psychological about this. Do people feel less upset when somebody plays a Gaia's Cradle because they know that that person had to suffer $800 out of their bank account to get it? <laughs> I, what do you guys think about that? That's a good question. Like, you know, I, this person, this is like a, a scar. This is like... Uh, <laughs> This is like a, a war medal or something. Uh, there's like clearly suffering behind it, and therefore, I'll, I'll I'll give it to him. Like, I don't know. And and should we feel about it differently if it's like you know somebody with a six figure income who owns a guy's cradle versus somebody who like you know actually like really felt the pain and, and ate ramen for a couple months, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> to save up. Yeah, it's impossible to tell, you know? And like you said, it could just be like a badge of honor too. Like I got this guy's cradle out of a pack mm-hmm. and I've been playing for, you know, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I have this guy's cradle because I'm old and I had the foresight to hold <laughs> on to it instead of trading it for a hunting, a hunted wumpus or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's say that there's, I know there's like a lot of ways this could shake out let's say let's boil it down to three possibilities um 
one is reserve list gets banned by the rules committee. Two is proxying is widely accepted. Everyone just proxies they, these uh, reserve list staples, and it, it becomes like no longer a problem that their prices are ridiculous. Or three, like casual commander just pretty much completely leaves the reserve list behind and nobody really plays them anymore or they're just like aren't enough copies are out there um, among the many commander players which of those three options do you think like the future is going to follow uh i think a reserve list band is unlikely Mm -hmm. but i've been pretty wrong before about where (laughs) edh goes oh my god Um, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, I am one of those fools that thought that the flash ban would be really good for CEDH. Mm-hmm. That, I guess, still remains to be seen. But mm-hmm. banning this many cards at once would send so many ripples through CEDH that I think just that in itself is unlikely to happen. I think the most likely scenario that people and wizards will arrive at is just being more receptive to proxies. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we're going to have to struggle with. You know, like even us as players are going to have to. Wizards could say proxies are now allowed at all events. And I think players would be the, the hardest to struggle. Uh, they, they'd face the di- most difficulty accepting that psychologically, especially players that have invested a lot of money. Not to sound like an elitist or anything, but I think those players who spent so much would feel, well, what separates me now from <laughs> the peasantry, <laughs> right? Like. Yeah, I thought I had this thing, this badge of honor, and now, now I have to play on an equal field, and that's kind of frustrating. Yeah, um, that's that kind of. It, it'd be funny to see like what that kind of announcement, like the effect it would have on all these reserve list prices. Because if, uh, you know, like like really the reserve list cards are are just like currency. We have collectively collectively agreed that they are worth something. But if mm-hmm. Wizards just says, nah, you could just like scribble on a piece of paper and shove it in a sleeve and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like the 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 balloon has been punctured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that really comes down to how you feel about like why do you play magic? I and mean, mm-hmm. maybe we're getting too cerebral here but <laughs> no that's the um, whole the, it, you are on the commander theory podcast so I feel free <laughs> okay if there's a place to be cerebral <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i personally can't stand playing with like messy ugly proxies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so maybe like the weird ripple effect here is that like high value proxy sites like strike it rich i don't know <laughs> there could be so many unforeseen consequences here right art that's used on proxies like could there be lawsuits about like the unauthorized use of the art or mm-hmm. who knows um, well just imagine like god this could get really really weird because like what <laughs> if okay like what if proxy sites start commissioning artists okay to mm. produce art for their proxies and it just becomes like this like shadow like shadow wizards of the coast almost <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, i i think wizards would probably get their law team um, <laughs> on the case very quickly if that started to happen and they, they may regret a proxy policy which is why i think it's probably still unlikely mm-hmm. but of all the scenarios it's the most likely yeah mm-hmm. i don't know did you have something else you wanted to say there no no i'm good okay uh, well, any any last thoughts on the reserve list in CEDH or Commander in general? I would say, first of all, give CEDH a try. It's not 
as oppressive, I think, as it's kind of earned a reputation for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as fast as you think it is either. I would say yeah. the average turn length, like how many turns is a game in CDH? It's probably like eight, which is not that many below casual slash normal slash whatever you want to call it, EDH. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because stacks help to make people play fair. Uh, I know people kind of have a stigma about stacks, like, well, I want to play my cards. And in CEDH, stacks is there. It's like, well, you can play your cards. You just have to do it slowly and fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you've ever wanted to play in a format where stacks isn't quite as like hated and it's got a place where it lives and actually like it's part of this kind of healthy cycle of keeping mm-hmm. things in balance and check, try CDH. It's it's definitely maybe not what you expect it to be. Hmm. And lastly, I would say the reserve list in the long run for Magic is it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that so many fun, cool cards like we've talked about in this episode are on it with so many problematic cards. Oh, yeah. But it's a, it's a huge problem. They're going to have to do something about it because it's, it's getting very... Uh, out of control the restricted list even some of the bad cards on the restricted list are starting to shoot up yeah there's no explanation i know like uh retribution of the meek is like a a pet card of mine and it's like why is this card 14 dollars? like it goes into doran and nowhere else (laughs) like (laughs) yeah yeah i i feel that pain and especially because i have a weird obsession with like big booty decks you know yeah, with like uh-huh. high toughness mm-hmm. and i waited too long to buy a retribution of the meek and it went from being four dollars to it is now up to about 20 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so e- even those niche cards the restricted list is causing serious issues i don't know what the solution is but yeah. this ain't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, ain't the, it. the world we exist in right now is not one which is sustainable for much longer for like the health of in eternal format like commander <laughs> yes yeah. yes i don't know hopefully they they listen to this podcast nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink, and, and they'll figure something out you know i Absolutely. mean they have the power to there, there's a lot like we might actually if people want to hear about it we could have like a deeper discussion of the reserve list at some point yeah there's but, definitely talking points we're not uh yeah. touching on today yeah because it's like there's a lot of uh various questions legal things about the reserve list that may or may not be true but i don't want to get into that on this episode so (laughs) yeah um so yeah it's Um, tricky right because this is one of the only games or one of the only collectible cards that's also a game um mm -hmm. you don't have this issue with baseball cards or football cards right you do have this issue with pokemon cards you do you absolutely do (laughs) and boy do i have some regrets about (laughs) i (laughs) went and i sold my pokemon card i had yep i had a charizard i had a foil charizard and uh i Mm. i like was just cleaning out my room and i tossed my whole bind (laughs) oh my lord i don't want to think about it oh my lord anyway That's where we're headed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're already there, maybe. Some of us. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. Thanks so much for for adding to this discussion and participate, participating in our thought experiment. Um, it's been really... Uh, I, I really appreciate the window into this corner of the format that we don't have a lot of experience with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to, to give whatever perspectives I can. Um. Like I've said before, I, I love this podcast because it's so 
data driven and it's not just colloquial information like, well, this one time this happened to me. So <laughs> <laughs> therefore it's the rule. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to contribute and I hope some people, my last time pitching this, I hope some people will try CEDH as a result of listening to this. So Yeah. I think yeah. that uh, at the very least, if nothing else changes in casual commander, um, you know, CEDH could be a great place for, for people to experience all these reserve list cards by proxying them and, and get to play with those, those types of effects. So uh, check out CEDH. And what are some of the best CEDH resources out there if people do want to explore the format? Ooh, yeah. Um, I would recommend there's lots of good YouTube channels about um, Competitive Commander. I would plug Casually Competitive, MTG. Mm-hmm. Um, Moxfield is a place where a fair number of CEDH decks live in comparison to you know what percent do they make up. There's a subreddit for competitive EDH that's very active. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's all I'll plug for now. Okay. Uh, well, again, it's been excellent having you on the show, Addison. And uh, thanks so much for, for being here. And um, appreciate your, your support and your, uh, your listens over the years. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, and... And one more plug, if you want to talk to Addison and us and a bunch of other cool people, we're, we got a Discord. You can can become a Patreon. All levels get it. You'll get to have cool conversations like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Um, and with that, I'm, I think we're going to end it there. But thanks, everyone, for listening. And I hope you uh, learned a bit more about this corner of the format. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.